Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 16. I'm reading verses 7 through the end of the chapter, if you'd like to follow along. The Lord's messenger found Hagar at a spring in the desert, the spring on the road to Shur, and said, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where did you come from, and where are you going? She said, From Sarai, my mistress, I'm running away. The Lord's messenger said to her, Go back to your mistress. Put up with her harsh treatment of you. The Lord's messenger also said to her, I will give you many children, so many they can't be counted. The Lord's messenger said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard about your harsh treatment. He will be a wild mule of a man. He will fight everyone, and they will fight him. He will live at odds with all his relatives. Hagar named the Lord, who spoke to her. You are El Roy, because she said, Can I still see after he saw me? Therefore, that well is called Beer Laharoi. It's the well that between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar gave birth to a son for Abram, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael for Abram. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series where we're looking at different individuals from the Bible who each play an important role in the biblical narrative, but who are each unique in that their part in the story is short, it's important, but then we don't really read much about them following their part in the story. A few weeks ago, we started this series by looking at the book of Philemon. Philemon was a Christian leader in the city of Colossia. Uh, Philemon is believed to have been wealthy because his home was large enough that the Christian community in that city met in his home, and that's where they worshipped. And Philemon is unique because it's the only letter written to an individual in the New Testament. All of the rest of the letters of Paul and others are written to communities of faith who are uh, dealing with certain situations and things going on in the life of their community. But Philemon is written a personal letter from Paul meant to be read in the community. Paul writes this letter to Philemon concerning the slave Onesimus. Onesimus is owned by Philemon, and at some point he has stolen from Philemon and run away and left and has caught up with Paul. Wherever Paul is imprisoned, some think Rome, some think Ephesus, and Onesimus has been there where he has become a follower of Jesus and has become, as Paul says, valuable to me. And he writes in the letter to Philemon, Onesimus will now be valuable to you. And so his letter, Paul is writing to Philemon, encouraging or exhorting him to welcome Onesimus back into his home, as if the man returning was Paul himself. In this letter we see about how Paul redefines what it means for us to be brothers in Christ with one another, about what it means for us to be a family of faith, a community of faith, regardless of social status or where we're at, as Paul says and encourages Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the book of Ruth. Ruth's story, many of us know, because she's a heroine in the, the Old Testament. And Ruth's story provides for us a picture of faithfulness, of dedication, and of selfless service. As we read a story about how Ruth, who was from Moab, went back and returned with her mother in law, Naomi, to the land of Bethlehem. Naomi's husband and sons had died and one of the sons dying Ruth's husband had died Naomi gave her permission to stay with her people in Moab and she chose to go and said wherever you go I will go wherever you lay your head I will lay wherever you die and are buried I will be buried and so in her story Ruth shows us what it means to be faithful 
in our treatment and in our interaction with others, what it means to be dedicated in doing the things that we've said we're going to do, and what it means to offer ourselves selflessly in service to others as she went out of her way to provide for the widow Naomi and for herself. And then last week we looked at the story of Samson. Samson's story is interesting. It's a story of a judge, of a judge that's very different. But we see in his story that how God continued to use him, even after he had broken the commands and laws that he was to follow. Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite from birth. God's messenger told his mother that, who was unnamed. And so Samson had always not uh, eaten fruit of the vine. And he had not eaten or or been around unclean things, and he had not cut his hair, and yet he did each of those things in pursuit of of women. But we see in the story of Samson how God continued to use him, and how God continues to use us, knowing that we are imperfect people, yet God chooses to use us anyway to accomplish his will, which is far larger than any of ours. And so this morning we're looking at the story of Hagar, In Hagar's story, we see a story of how God helps us and encourages us to focus on our futures and not to commit ourselves on the things that have happened in the past. Hagar's story is found in the book of Genesis, Genesis 16 and 21, and then chapter 25, verse 12. Her story is intertwined with the story of two people that we know because the book of Genesis follows them from this point on, Abram or Abraham or Sarai, later Sarah. Because it's these two whose son Isaac was chosen to be the one through which God established his covenant with the people who were later called Israel. And so it's Abram and Sarai who who are told in Genesis 15, Abram is told that he will be blessed by making a covenant with God and that God will cause his descendants to be many and that God will bless the world through him and his descendants. And Abram says to God, but Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have any children, I'm old. My wife is childless. My only descendant is Eleazar of Damascus. If I die, he will receive everything as my head of my household. But God tells Abram to trust. But see, in today's story, when we read about the story of Hagar, we see about uh, how easy it is for us as people to try and rush God's plan and God's timing. Because in Genesis 16, it says that Hagar is a slave maiden to Sarai. She's an Egyptian. Sarai is childless. And so she chooses to almost jumpstart the will of God. As she chooses to have her slave maid be the bearer of Abram's child in order that the family line could continue and Abram can have an heir. In fact, one of the commentaries I was reading this past week, this was really interesting to me. It kind of jumped out at me as something that was different because it said that Sarai actually went as far as to have Hagar made a wife. To Abram. So she wasn't just a slave woman who was going to carry his child, but Sarai gave her almost the same level as herself in making her a wife so that her child and the children born of Hagar would be a true heir of Abram. In time, Hagar conceived. In time, the scripture said that she began to despise Sarah, and so Sarai went to Abram to complain about Hagar and her treatment of her. And Abram's response is like the perfect male response and the perfect example of why men should not marry two women and have them as wives at the same time. Because Abram's response was, if she's despising you, you deal with her. She's your slave maid. She's your slave. You 
deal with her. Which Sarai did. And the scripture says harshly. She was so harsh, in fact, that Hagar fled into the desert, into the desert where she was willing to exchange the harshness that she knew in the tents of Sarai and Abram for the harshness that she did not know that the desert would bring or put before her. In the desert. See, there's something we can see from Hagar's story is we find ourselves in the desert at times. Deserts that may be without life. Deserts that may be isolating to us. Deserts that may be metaphorical and that there are time in our lives. Not a physical thing, although here in the southwest we're always in the desert. But we find ourselves in the desert. As we're looking and waiting, avoiding what we need to do, or perhaps our time in the desert is because we don't know what we need to do, we don't know what the future holds, or what decision needs to be made, or some find themselves in the desert because, like Hagar, we flee that which challenges us, hurts us, or makes us causes regret in us. See, I hope what you see in the biblical story is that there are many ways for us to end up in the desert. There are many paths that can bring us to the same place, and it's a place that is apart from God, and it is a place that is apart from other, and it isolates from others, and so we find ourselves alone. We find ourselves waiting and wondering and sometimes crying out to God, and other times crying out but not knowing that it's God that we're looking for. See, because Hagar found herself in the desert. She was alone, she was without water, she was without food, she was without shelter. She had fled the harsh treatment that she was receiving and that she knew and instead gambled on the harshness of the land. Hagar fled. And in doing so, she demonstrates to us something of God. And that's that God doesn't just use us in the good times or in the times that we feel like everything is just right. See, God uses her in a time of great distress, in a time that she is fleeing, in a time that she is running. It's not a time I think she would have felt was right, and God didn't forget her. Because my guess is when she fled into the desert, Abram and Sarai were willing to let her go. See, but God didn't forget her. He didn't forget Hagar. He didn't forget the child that she was carrying. He didn't forget the covenant that he had made with Abram and promising with him in Genesis chapter 15 that his descendants would bless the earth and that he would work and make a covenant through him. See, God didn't forget. He wasn't done with her as others were. Just like God doesn't forget us whenever we find ourselves in the desert. And so we read today a scripture about an angel of the Lord that appears and speaks to her. And tells her that she's to return home. Knowing the harshness that might be before her. But as she hears a message that says, I will give you many children. So many that they cannot be counted. You are now pregnant, you will give birth to a son, you will name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard about your treatment. She recognizes that it's God. Hagar, an Egyptian slave maid, recognized 
that the one who was before her, the voice that she was hearing, the one who was telling her to return, was God. And so she names him. You know, Hagar is the first example in the, the Bible of someone who names the Lord, of someone who recognizes that the one that they are encountering is the Lord, of one who doesn't have to ask and say, is it you, Lord? Hagar just knows. And so in verse 13, it says, Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy, she said, because I can still see after he saw me. Hagar recognized that the voice she was hearing was God. I mean, how different is her story from so many of the other stories that we read in the Bible? We read of Jacob who wrestles God and who didn't know who it was. We read of others who hear from God, of others who witness God, of others who have seen miraculous things, of those who encountered Jesus and heard that He was God and that He was the Son of God and that He was there as the Messiah, yet they didn't recognize and acknowledged that it was God who worked. But this Egyptian slave maid, Hagar, she did recognize that it was the voice of God. And God told her to return. God told her to leave the desert, to return to the home that she had fled, to leave the harshness of the desert, and to return to the harshness that she knew, to leave the desert and to trust in the future that God had placed before her. See, because God works in the future. No matter what had happened in the past, God pointed Hagar's eyes to something in the future that she could hold on to as he told her that she would have a son and his name would be Ishmael and his descendants would be too numerous to count and she was to return with her hope being in the promise that God had made. Her hope was in the future. Not in her past experiences. God has promised her a people, a nation through her son. And so she is to return to Abram and Sarai where eventually Ishmael was born when Abram was 86 years old. See, as I read this story, I read a story of hope. I read a story of, of someone who, was allow, uh, who allowed God to use them even in the time when they themselves felt like they were the last person that God could use or would use. Hagar's story is about hope. The hope that she placed in God as he brought her forth out of the desert the first time and then a second time. Because we read in Genesis 21 of how when Isaac, Sarah's son, was being weaned, they had a great feast. And Sarah took Ishmael's laughing or he was mocking as an offense and she told Abraham, you've got to get rid of him. Because I will not allow my son to share in the inheritance with that boy. Abram went to the Lord in prayer because Ishmael was his son. And God told Abraham to not worry. He would take care of the woman and child. And so the scripture says that next morning Abram packed a goat skin with water and prepared food for them and sent Hagar and her son into the wilderness. where they traveled and wandered until eventually they ran out of food and water. And the scripture says that Hagar left Ishmael under a bush and she moved a distance away so that she would not have to hear his cries as he died. And the scripture says that the Lord came to her because God heard the cry of the boy. 
God heard her and God met them in the desert and delivered them yet again. All because she placed her hope in God and she believed in the future that he had laid out before her. See, Hagar's story is about belief. It's about believing that the God who spoke to her both times in the desert was the same God who met Abram and told him that through him he would establish a covenant with him and his descendants so that through their lives they would be a blessing to the world. Hagar's story is about coming out of the deserts in our lives and about hearing an invitation of God to to leave the deserts of our lives and to stop focusing on the past but to look ahead to the future. Because the deserts are where we are separated from God. The deserts we use to isolate ourselves from others. And the deserts, they don't lead us to life. But instead they lead us to disbelief. And to the places that don't give us life. See, but the hope in this story is that God meets us in the deserts is that God heard the cry of Hagar both as she wandered the desert pregnant with child and then 13 years later as she wandered the desert with her son, fearing starvation and dehydration. God meets us in the deserts. God hears our cry when we are in the deserts. And God points our eyes towards a hope and a future that only He can see. Yet in pointing our eyes to it, he gives us a way to come out of the desert as we focus on the future that he's laid out and established before us. Hagar's story is a story of hope. It's a story of faithfulness. And in a way, it's a story of God's willingness to use us even when we feel like we are the last one that God can use. Because God met her in the desert to use her and to point her eyes towards a bright future just as he's going to meet and does meet each of us in the desert as he points us to the future that he offers us of the hope, of the peace, of the love that he gives us through his son Jesus Christ. In Hagar we find hope. In Hagar we find the determination of God and the willingness to use us wherever we are. And for that I say thanks be to God. Amen.